Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to wind down and wrap up today um, kind of where we've been the last few weeks. What is the church's response in crisis? What is the church's response in the midst of all this? I've told you before, I can't speak for the world. In fact, you know, you can almost expect the world to respond as they have, uh, you know, in, in the certain degrees of fear and the certain degrees of, uh, you know, lack of optimism and pessimism and, and all the mess that's going on today. That's expected. But what is our position? What is our response? What are we supposed to be doing, saying, speaking, behaving, acting like? And, and, and how are we taking this light that we have into the darkness of the world and affecting change around us, being the change around us. And so we've talked for the last several weeks of what that looks like for the church, how we should be responding. And I've called this church specifically to a higher standard of living, to a higher standard of what it means to be the church of the living God and not just going through the motions. I believe, as I've said a million times, that crisis reduces you to what you are. And this is the time where playing games and going through religious formality and, and, and just checking off boxes isn't going to cut it anymore. It's not going to cut it. And I'm not saying that judgmentally. I'm not saying that to come down. I'm saying that to cause us to rise to the power that we have. We have the answer. We are the solution for times just like this. You are created for this. I've said that almost every single Sunday that we've been together for the last four or five weeks. And so to culminate it all, I want us to recognize one of the greatest elements that the church exists for that I believe has come under great scrutiny and great fire, but this is uh, the utmost time to remind ourselves this is why we exist. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, I'm going to read to you out of the New Living. He says this, Paul writing to Timothy, so if I'm delayed, you will know how people must conduct themselves. Again, he's talking about conduct. He's talking about behavior. He's talking about lifestyle. God is not uh, calling us to a life of such grace and life of such mercy that it's removed of, of what our conduct and our lifestyle and our behavior looks like. And so Paul was saying, I'm writing this to you if I'm delayed, that you will know how we ought to conduct ourselves in the household of God. The New King James reads house of God. So sometimes we can think, oh, well, when I'm at church, I should act a certain way, right? When I'm at church, I should put on my church clothes and my church smile and my church face. And, and, and uh, one day a week, not even one day, two hours out of the week, right? We don't even make it off the park parking lot before we reduce ourselves back to uh, other types of behavior. But when I'm at church, well, I want to remind you, this isn't something we do. This is something we are. Church is not something you attend. It's who you are. You are the household of God. This is not the house of God. This is just the metal building with some drywall and concrete. This could be anything. This could be a crack house for, for all we know. Just because you put a sign on it that says church doesn't make it a church. What makes it a church is because the church comes to this building and has church. You are the church. You're the house of God. So if you wouldn't do it here, you shouldn't do it there. Amen. Don't defile the house. You are the temple of the living God. Amen. So he says, this is, I'm writing this so you will know how to conduct yourselves in the household of God. Now watch this. He defines it. This is the church of the living God. The church of the living God, which is the pillar and foundation of truth. The pillar and the foundation, the pillar and the support of truth is how the New King James reads. The pillar and support of truth. Anybody having a hard time recognizing what the truth is today? Truth is on trial, isn't it? Truth is up to our opinion. Truth is debatable. But I want you to know that he calls truth a pillar 
and a support. That means it's fixed, immovable. If you are a pillar or a support, you're not doing a very good job if you're shaky. You're not doing a very good job as a pillar if you're one way one day and the other way another day. That's not a pillar. I don't want that holding up anything substantial in my life. I want pillars and supports to be fixed, concrete, immovable, consistent, constant, right? That's how I want a pillar and a support to look like. And you, as the church of the living God, he says, ought to be a pillar, a foundation, a support, fixed, immovable, to uphold truth. Recognize that if you and I waver, truth gets compromised. If you and I waver, truth gets compromised. And truth isn't up for debate because Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Jesus also said, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. So God is not wrapping his truth around our life. We're to wrap our life around his truth. Simply put. And so we have to understand He starts off with our conduct, our behavior, our lifestyle, because we have to recognize this. Unrighteousness will dilute truth. Unrighteousness will dilute truth. If I allow unrighteousness in my life, what gets compromised is what I believe. It becomes very difficult for me to say I believe one thing, but live contrary to that. Amen. I can't say I believe one thing, but live opposed to that and not think for one second that it's not ultimately going to compromise what I believe. One of them is going to have to give. Either your lifestyle is going to bow to your truth or the truth that you believe is going to bow to your lifestyle. Only one. One is going to win out and whichever one you feed gets stronger. Amen. So if I continue in unrighteous lifestyles, as we've talked about for the last couple weeks, if I continue to uh, abandon truth principles, but say I adhere to truth, eventually I'm going to compromise my own belief system. Eventually I'm going to compromise what I believe. I heard someone say one time, if, if someone's words don't line up with their actions, they're not lining up, and you've got to pick between what they're saying and what they're doing, Go with what you end up a Pharisee, as we have saw in the last couple of weeks. You end up as one that says one thing but does another. You end up a whitewashed tomb that wants to clean out the stuff on the outside but is, has remained dirty and dead and a container of dead things on the inside. That was the greatest opposition that Jesus had. Jesus didn't have opposition from unbelievers, from sinners, from those that were living lifestyles contrary to his plan because those people said, man, that's the way I want to live. I want to receive that. The Pharisees saw Jesus and said, man, I'm already righteous. I don't need that. I'm good. I don't need all that. I don't need this this new found kingdom you're talking about. We abide by the law. And they were self-righteous instead of Christ righteous. There's a difference. And so what happens is, is we are supposed to be a support and pillar of truth, but since I don't operate according to that truth, I end up diluting and compromising and making weak the truth of the word of God. I end up compromising the truth itself. We're supposed to be a pillar and a support unwavering, constant, and consistent. Truth does not change. Sadly, in our society, we have valued opinion over truth. In our society, we value what someone thinks over what is actually true or what is actually real. Don't we see this on a day-to-day basis? We love our opinions, We love what we think about something, and we love to know what someone else thinks about something. I miss the days where the news just reported the news. They didn't tell you what to think about the news. Remember that? Do you remember those days? Dan Rather? Anybody remember Dan Rather? Yeah? Walter Cronkite? 
All they did was tell you the news. They didn't tell you what they thought about it. They didn't give their opinion of it. They didn't try to twist it to, they just told you the news. Today, there was a fire in Sacramento, California. Didn't have to tell you who started it or what was motivated by it or whatever else. They just gave you the news. But now, opinions drive everything. And this is dangerous. This is dangerous because what opinions do is they make you skeptical of truth. They make you skeptical of truth. You know what we do today? We call skeptics heroes and progressive. And we call people that remain faithful to truth antiquated, archaic, and out of touch. Don't we do this? Maybe not we in this room, but we as a society love to challenge things. And so the challengers get exalted while those that remain steadfast steadfast and fixed in what they believe and aren't shifty and shaky are called out for being non-progressive. And so now we have a minority of steadfast and a majority of shifty and shaky. We have a majority of those that challenge truth. And truth ends up on trial, and truth ends up being challenged by the majority, and we don't even know what truth is anymore. I'll show you how this happens, because just two verses later, I want to remind you that these books were not written broken up in chapter and verse. They were written as letters. This was a letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. So at the end of 315, chapter 3, he says, I need you to know how to conduct yourself because your unrighteous lifestyle will dilute the truth, and you are supposed to be a pillar in support of truth, fixed and unwavering. But 4 verse 1, Chapter 4, verse 1. Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last times, some will turn away from the faith, from the true faith. True faith. You ever heard of false doctrine? It's doctrine that is false. It's doctrine that is not true. It's not true. We have to understand the value of truth because if we buy into this agenda and this idea that truth has to be challenged and that we have to question everything, you know, not everybody that asks questions wants answers. Right? Ask Jesus. How many times did he get asked questions by the Pharisees? But they weren't coming as learners, as pupils, as disciples. Jesus, we just want to know more about them. They were trying to test him. They were trying to catch him in a lie. They were trying to, to, to tempt him to fall into a place where they could trap him. And they couldn't do it. But they weren't asking questions to learn. They were asking questions to challenge. It says, the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last times, some will turn away. Uh, the New King James reads, fall away from the faith. And they will follow uh, deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. Now, we saw this a couple weeks ago, and I pointed out that no one is, is, is in their right mind saying, I'm done with the teachings of the gospel. I want to follow false doctrine. I want to follow teachings that come from demons, and I want to turn away from the faith. Nobody's doing that intentionally, but yet that's what's happening. It doesn't say they're running away from the faith. It says they're falling away. The falling away gives us an image of little by little being steered off course, drifting in the wrong direction. And so how does the enemy do this? He's deceptive and he gets you to buy into little lies, little lies over time. Little lies like, did he really say, if you eat of the tree, you would die? Did he really say? Little challenges, little critical thoughts, little, little things that we allow and we buy into. And before we know it, we're so far down a course where we question and challenge so much. See, before you question and challenge, you need to know what you believe. That's important. You need to know the word before you question the word. You need to know the word before we challenge the word. 
You need to know Scripture. You need to uphold Scripture. You need to keep Scripture. You need to study Scripture before we question Scripture. I get a lot of questions as pastor because apparently I have some kind of access to heaven that nobody else does. And so, you know, my, my you know, uh, whatever it's worth Bible school study, apparently, you know, let me just tell you what they teach you in Bible school. They teach you how to be a good person. There's a lot of stuff I wish I learned. In fact, maybe one day I'll write a book what they didn't teach me in Bible school. Because in the last nine years of pastoring, I've utilized probably 85% of stuff I never learned in a classroom. This is my classroom. I've sat down with couples and they've brought up issues and I've been like, hmm, wish I had a class on that. <laughs> yeah. Or you go to build a wall and the county comes in and says, ah, you can't build that wall. You need a permit and you need this and that. Yeah, it'd be nice to know before I built the wall. Be nice to know how to do this and how to do that and who to call for this. You just learn it as you go. But when it comes to knowing the word of God, many people want to challenge before they've ever sat down and said, Father, I just want to know your heart. Because the most important thing is not just knowing the content of the book. It's knowing the character of his heart. And more people want to know more stuff than know him. They want to know something than know someone. And when I do get someone, sometimes, you know, I'll feel a little edgy that day, and I'll get a lot of questions. I'll just be like, so what is your relationship with the Father really like? Because that would be like me trying to date my wife and get to know her by just asking a bunch of questions to friends of hers about her. Eventually, I'm going to need to get to know her. Eventually, I'm going to need to get to know the person. And you know what? From knowing her, I've learned a lot about her. Stuff that nobody else could ever tell me. So you want to direct people to a relationship with the Father first. Because we can learn till we're blue in the face. And I'll tell you right now, you'll never be satisfied. You'll always have questions. What does satisfy? I've heard it many times. You know, I don't know the answer to this situation right now. I don't know why this verse is in here. I don't know exactly what God was doing in this moment, but I know him and I know he's for me, not against me. I know his character and I don't question the integrity and character of my God. And I know that if I need to know, he'll reveal it to me. That's much better than knowing the answer, but not knowing the person. Amen. And so these these deceptive ways show up in our lives and we have this challenge, this challenge culture. Culture exalts the skeptic over the faithful. Culture exalts the skeptic over the faithful. The one who challenges truth is revered as a hero and progressive while the one who remains consistent with truth is deemed a heretic and antiquated. That's just my way of putting it. I just wrote that down. That's just how God gave it to me. If we stay with truth, we're radicals. If we stay with what the Bible says, they don't want to hear us. It's amazing. You know, and, 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 and Paul pointed this out. I didn't even jot down the verse. Maybe some of you Bible scholars in this room know it better than I do. He says that we will refute and reject sound doctrine and we will gain itching ears. Heaping up for ourselves teachers. Why? Because I don't like the way you put it. I need to go find and listen to somebody else in the way that they put it. Now, if you're listening to someone that's preaching false doctrine, yes, you need to go find someone. You need a new source. You need to go to someone that's preaching the word of God. But sometimes it just doesn't meet our preference. Sometimes it just doesn't meet the way that we like it put. Sometimes we just don't like what they harp on or what they hit on or what they lean on. But I'm telling you right now, the word of God is not up for debate. The word of God is not limited by your opinion, but your life will be. God doesn't change, but our perspective does. God doesn't change, but how much of him I see does. His word doesn't change, but the way I see it today might change five years from now. 
not meaning that it changed, meaning that it was revealed to me in a whole new way. I remember Brother uh, Kenneth E. Hagin, uh, he said that he would read the, the, the passages in Ephesians chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 3. He's gone on to be with the Lord, had a dynamic ministry, died at the age of 86 years old, the, the father of, of faith, of the, the modern word of faith movement that we have today. And, and, and he said that he prayed these prayers early in his ministry out of Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 3, praying that the Holy Spirit would illuminate my mind, give me a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge. He said he prayed that every day for six months. And after six months, he went to his wife and he said, what on earth have I been preaching? Why? Not because he got a new Bible. Not because he found a book that he had never read before, but because the Holy Spirit was illuminating him and bringing it into his capacity to comprehend because it's not naturally discerned, the Scripture. The Word of God is not naturally comprehended. You need the assistance of the Holy Spirit. Right now, three people are working. Three people are working right now. I'm working, delivering to you a message from the Word of God. You're working, hopefully, in hearing and receiving a message from the Word of God. But the third person is the Holy Spirit. He's assisting me to make it articulate and clear because I'm not smart enough to speak to this entire room and hit every one of your scenarios in your life. But he's also assisting you in receiving the word of God, hearing the word of God, and allowing it to be understood and comprehended in your mind. The Holy Spirit is working. Are you allowing him to assist you is the question. Are you allowing him to work alongside you? You don't want me up here without Holy Spirit assistance. You don't want me up here trying to make this stuff clear. Sometimes I look at my notes and I'm like, God, you better say something because if I get up there, I'm going to mess that whole thing up. We need the Holy Spirit's assistance in receiving truth. And he is, you know what Jesus called him? The spirit of truth. Apparently we need the spirit of truth and we need it even more now in these last days than we ever have. Romans chapter one. Romans chapter one. So we've seen that the church is the pillar and support of truth. If we don't keep our conduct in line with the truth, we'll eventually dilute the truth and compromise it. We recognize that if I don't attend to truth and keep truth in front of me, then I will fall to deception and fall away, drift away over time, slowly and surely, little by little, away from the truth that is the word of God. The word of God doesn't change. My perspective and my view changes. In Romans chapter 1, starting with verse 18. It says, for the, the wrath of God. Let me read this to you in the New Living. But God shows his anger from heaven. That's maybe not the God that, that you know, we talk about a whole lot today. Might sound like more of one of those old country Baptist preachers that talks about, you know, fire, hell, and brimstone. You, they preach it so well that, you know, they scare the hell out of you. You come to the altar just because you're scared. You didn't come because you want to get your heart right. You came to the altar because I don't want that fire and hell and brimstone stuff. I don't want the, you know, you can almost smell it smoldering under your seat. Right? Come on, we've talked about grace and we've talked about truth. But Paul says, but God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Did we not just say that? They dilute the truth by their lifestyle. Maybe you didn't think you had that much power. Maybe you thought the word of God was the word of God and it's just gonna do its job regardless of how I live. But what, what a God we serve that he would put the integrity of his word on you <laughs> and our ability to uphold it and live by it. And he did. 
He did. They suppressed the truth by their wickedness. He says they know the truth about God. They know stuff about him because he has made it obvious to them. Now, deception does not mean that the truth is hard to find. Deception is when the truth is right in front of you, yet you still deny it. That's deception. It says he's made it obvious. He's not withholding anything from them. He's left it all bare, visible. It's right in front of them. They can see his truth. They can see who he is. All creation exists to promote that God is God and God is who he is and that God created everything that is on this planet. And you just don't see it because you're deceived. It's right in front of you and yet you still don't see it. The Pharisees, could not see that the Messiah, the one that they knew the law had talked about over and over and over, prophesied for over 4,000 years the coming of the Messiah was standing right in front of them. And they couldn't see it. Obvious. Deception does not mean that the truth is hard to find. It means that you have become, you have brought yourself to believe a lie for so long. This is how it happens. You hear a lie, and you hear it, and you hear it, and you hear it. Y'all know that word, that verse, Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Faith comes by hearing. Now, you could stop right there. It goes on to say, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. That just tells you to how, how you build your faith in God. But I would present to you today that whatever you hear is where you build your faith. Faith comes by hearing. Regardless of what you're hearing, regardless of who the source is, if you hear it enough, you hear a lie, then you begin to believe a lie. But deceived people don't just believe a lie. Deceived people will defend a lie at all costs. So they hear it, and they hear it, and they hear it, and they hear it. And they hear it enough to the point that they believe it. Faith comes. Faith is a belief. Faith comes. I believe what I hear. If I hear it enough, I'll begin to believe it. And if I come, if I become um, um, tied to it enough, I'll even go as far as to defend a lie in the face of truth, no matter how great your support of your truth is. Have y'all seen this today? It doesn't matter how strong of a presentation you bring for something that's true. They will fight you. Now they will just censor you. Now they'll just remove your videos and delete your comments and your likes. They have that power to do that. And we're all dumb enough to keep using the tools that they are allowed to censor. Amen. Amen. Truth is on trial. And truth needs an avenue. Truth needs an avenue to, to, to be stressed and to be communicated. And Jesus, through Paul, says, you are the avenue of truth. If the church isn't upholding truth, nobody is. You think the world's going to uphold truth for us? You, do you think the, the world's going to all of a sudden have a moral compass? No. They have one agenda, and we're seeing what that agenda is. God shows his anger from above against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities. Even the invisible attributes of God can be clearly seen by people if you want to see it. He's not trying to hide anything from you. It's not a mystery in the sense that God's saying, come find me over here. Oh, I'm not over there anymore. Come find me over here. 
come dangling the carrot, trying to get you to come a little bit closer. He's saying, I'm right here. How much will you fight to find me? You got to fight for truth. I said, you have to fight for truth, especially today. And it's not that the, the lie is easier to see than the truth. It's just more acceptable. It's just more acceptable. But ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. And they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yet they knew God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. And as a result, their minds became dark and confused. I know we're all thinking, Paul, did you have insight into 2020? Did you jump ahead? Did you, did you do one of those transport teleport things, uh, you know, and show up in 2020? And it's like, okay, that's what Romans chapter 1, 18, 19, 20. That's what, does, not, does that not sound like today? We think up ideas of what God is like rather than just accepting what his word says. Claiming to be wise, instead, they became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. Verse 24, so God abandoned them to do. I thought God would never forsake me. God would never leave me. I thought God would never abandon me. God will abandon you to your own resources. He sure will. He will let you do it how you want to do it. He'll let you learn it however you want to learn it. He's right there waiting for you to come back to him. But he's not going to force you to do it his way. He will abandon you to your own devices. God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with others. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men. And as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. Anybody uncomfortable yet? Keep on going. Verse 29. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed. See, some of y'all thought you were saved in verse 27 because you hadn't had those problems. We're about to get to your stuff here in a minute. Wickedness, sin, greed, Hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning, and they disobey their parents. (laughs) He just throws that one in for a good... (laughs) You know, if we're playing the whole scale thing, I feel like that's... I, I get it, Paul. Get it. And they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand, break their promises, are heartless, and have no mercy. That's the Bible. Probably haven't heard those verses in a while. But that's the Word of God. I'm here to tell you today that there is a way out of all that mess. I know that can be disheartening at times, but you are the church of the living God. You are the pillar and support of truth. We are here not just to make sure we're living right, but to uphold truth so others can find the right way to live. 
This isn't about self-righteousness. This is about being salt of the earth and preserving and saying, God, please don't come until I've had the chance to win a few more. Please don't come until I've had the chance to be light in the midst of some more darkness. Please don't send your son yet because we've got work to do. And I will be a pillar in a support of truth. But ultimately, he gives us this path of how we end up in the homosexuality, in the the immoral behaviors, in the envies, in the murders, in the deceptions, and even disobeying your parents. How do we end up there? It's because we allow lies to be planted within our mind, and we hear it, and we hear it, and we hear it, and we believe it, and we believe it, and we believe it to the point that we even defend it. There are churches today that will acknowledge sinful behavior, and allow it to take place. And that's not a 2020 thing. That's a 1 Corinthians thing. 1 Corinthians sounds like a 2020 church. But they were messed up. And you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and Paul's having to write to them, about all the speaking in tongues and all the gifts of prophecy and all the, the laying on of hands and all the spiritual services that they're having. And at the same time, they've got a, a kid that's having sex with his dad's new wife. They're getting drunk at communion. They're backstabbing and talking about each other. They're taking each other to court in the same church. Not two different churches, the same church. No, sin's got to be dealt with. Sin has to be brought to light. Sin that is hidden and covered is not, repent, is not forgiven. If it's not repented of, it can't be forgiven. Repentance is the prerequisite for forgiveness. I repent, I turn away. And Jesus came so you could turn away. Sin doesn't have to bind you anymore. Sin doesn't have to control you anymore. But truth is on trial today because more and more unrighteousness creeps in more and more truth becomes diluted and we don't even know what the truth is anymore. This is the process. This is the drifting away. This is the falling away. God gave it to me this way. You can fall down in pride or you can bow down in submission. You can fall down in pride. Pride goes before a fall. You can fall. Either way, we're going to take a knee. Every knee will confess Jesus is Lord. I would rather bow down, willfully honoring him and his word, submitting to his truth, and submitting my life to his plan, than fall down flat on my face because of the pride in my heart, because I wanted to believe an opinion over God's word. Amen? Let me give this to you real quick. I, I, I gave this, it was one point last year, I don't remember exactly when, but the Lord brought it back to my remembrance. And I feel it's extremely applicable today. I want to give you the three stages of deception. The three stages of deception. Because I want you to be aware of how deception creeps in. I want you to see exactly how the enemy is working his way, even in the body of Christ, even in the church of the living God. Even, look, Paul has received, think about Paul's life for a minute. Paul said, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I was raised upholding the law, knowing the law, memorizing the law. I knew the law better than anybody. He said, I put you up against, I put myself up against anybody. And he was working tremendously to stop the plan of God. 
All of a sudden, all these crazy people are coming out of the woodwork saying that Jesus, who they saw die on a cross and be put in a grave, has now risen out of that grave and ascended to heaven. And now we got a bunch of people talking and looking just like that one man. Saying that Jesus rose from the grave. And their biggest argument was, he didn't rise from the grave. He's dead. And his disciples came and they stole the body out of that grave just so they could say that the man that walked around saying in three days I'll rise again. And just like you killed, you, 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 you tear down this temple, but it will be rebuilt in three days. And they didn't understand any of that. And so Paul's working tirelessly to imprison and even kill some of these crazy Jesus people who are speaking truth. And he gets knocked off his horse, literally. And Jesus says, you've been working hard to stop my plan. You're going to work just as hard to be the catalyst for my plan. And I'm going to use you. So this man knows grace. This man knows mercy. This man knows what Jesus did in his life. This man knows what it means to submit his life. And yet he still is bringing to light the conduct and the behavior and the life. The one man that at one time upheld all those things on the outside but was dead on the inside. He's saying there's still a way to preach grace and not compromise truth. One of the biggest lies in the church that we have accepted today is that I'm compromising grace if I preach truth. That is a lie. It's a lie. And really, my, my biggest passion and, and urgency around these last several weeks is helping us understand that I do not have to compromise truth to live in grace, and I don't have to compromise grace to uphold and be a pillar in support of truth. But we have to recognize how the enemy is working and how this deception creeps in. The first stage of deception is skepticism. Skepticism. Now, skepticism, defined literally, is having an attitude of doubt. Having an attitude of doubt. It's not full-on doubt. It's just the questioning. It's that challenging we talked about. Now, there's some things you need to be skeptical of. Like when, you're, when your son tells you that he's cleaned his room, you should be a little skeptical. Open the closet and find all the stuff that was on the bed is now just stuffed in there. That's not cleaning. That's moving garbage from one place to another. You just shifted it out of sight, out of mind. No, we need to be skeptical of some things. But when it comes to the word of God, we have to be careful. Yes, we need to be learners. Yes, we have to have a desire to know more. Yes, we have to have a desire uh, to question and say, man, I want to know all there is about this. But not everybody is asking that question with that attitude. Not everybody's asking questions with the desire to learn. Amen. Some are asking questions because they want their own answer. I remember when we first started this church, I had an individual who had been coming to our church maybe about five or six months. We were very young. I mean, only like 20 people in the church. Had been coming for about six months, and then um, I preached on the Holy Spirit. I like to do that every now and then, especially in the South, because we all have an idea of what the Holy Spirit is, who he is, how he works, how he operates, and how he doesn't work and how he doesn't operate. We talked about tongues. We talked about the, the, the a heavenly prayer language. We talked about the gift of tongues and interpretation of tongues. And he said, I'd like to have a meeting with you. Okay, let's have a meeting. I'd love to share more about it. So he came, and he had all his verses of why what I preached wasn't true, and tongues isn't for today, and we can't pray in a prayer language. Well, I said, well, what have I been doing for the last 18 years of my life? You're too late. I've been praying in tongues since I was eight years old. So he had built a case to support his conclusion. 
He wasn't interested in changing his conclusion. He was interested in me changing my conclusion. That's not challenging and questioning with a desire to learn. No, that's challenging and questioning. This is how I believe it. And he even closed it with this. If you continue to preach like this, the Holy Spirit told me, and I thought that was really funny that the guy he's recounting is the guy all of a sudden he's listening to. But he said, the Holy Spirit told me to tell you, your church will not grow if you keep preaching like this. I got 10 times today what we had. And we're growing. And we're adding too. Amen. Come on, we got to, and you, you got to know the word and have a desire to know the word before you ever want to challenge and contradict and question. Having an attitude of doubt, denying or questioning. It's one thing to wonder, it's another to question. Are you asking because you are doubtful and you want to learn? That's stage one, skepticism. Stage two, we go from being skeptical to becoming cynical. Cynicism. It's the second stage of deception. Remember, this is a drifting away. We're not taking a hard 90 here. We're not just saying, you know what, I refute everything in the word of God and I wanna go follow false doctrines and doctrines of demons and, and go after false teaching. No, we're steering off just a little bit because we become skeptical in the sense of not wanting to really know the answer anymore, but wanting to have others come to a different conclusion. Then we become cynical and cynical means distrusting the motives. Distrusting the motives. Bitterly or sneering pessimism. Bitterly or sneering pessimism. This is being cynical. So now we're going beneath just what's on the surface and we're questioning what's underneath. Well, why are they telling me to do that? We become cynical a deeper attitude within us that pushes us further away from discovering and unveiling truth in our life and continues to harbor us even further in the lies that we want to believe. And the third stage, we go from being skeptical to becoming cynical to eventually we become critical. Critical, criticism, skepticism, cynicism, criticism. When we become critical, we are inclined to find fault. Now we attack those that believe other, believe in a different way. And we defend even more wholeheartedly the lie that we're set in. There are some really defensive people in the world today. They want to defend everything. They want to speak out against everything. Let me just tell you, number one, you want to pick your battles. Choose your battles. Choose your battles. And number two, understand, bring yourself to understand the heart and the intention of the other. Because that we're not doing that. We're just arguing on surface levels. But we aren't really desiring to get underneath and to discover where the other person is at. And so we attack and we call out, call out publicly. We name call. That's pride, that's arrogance. I thought this was interesting. When we become critical, we side with the devil. That's interesting. When you take on a critical spirit, you now are actually working to his advantage, not God's. You're actually working against 
what God is trying to do. Worship team, if you come. Now we find ourselves on the wrong side of the playing field. No, we got to be people that desire to learn, desire to grow, recognize that we have a response. You understand the responsibility that God gave you? That he would put truth in the hands of mere men that can blow it and miss it? He would put his truth, his word, and he'd put his integrity and his character on the line. And how many of us have blown it and missed it? How many of us have gotten it wrong at times? How many of us have said, man, I saw that wrong, and thankfully we repented and said, man, this is how I see it now? That's just the power of God. Look, his truth isn't changing. But we have to make sure as his church, as his people, the church of the living God, that we remain fixed, constant, consistent, steadfast in what he's called us to do. We are a pillar and a support of truth. And if anybody on this planet doesn't have the right to get the truth wrong, it's you and I. It's you and I. It's you and I. His truth is what changes people's lives. Isn't that what the word says? And they shall know the truth and the truth. Notice he doesn't say, and they will know the cross. And the cross will make them free. They will know Jesus. Jesus will make them free. They will come to church and church will make them free. They will pray and prayer will make them free. No, he says, they will know the truth. And the truth will set them free. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website, at anchorfaithvaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.